This is the visible hand, special job market edition. My name is Jordi Blanes Evidal. My guest today is Arthur Novaes de Amorim, who is a PhD student and job market candidate at the University of Calgary. Today we are going to talk about his job market paper, Agricultural Change in the United States, Evidence from the Golden Age of Radio. Arthur, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jordi. It's a pleasure to be at the podcast. Arthur, what is the question that you tackle in this paper? So in this paper, I am interested in understanding the relationship between mass media and agricultural productivity. The idea here is that farmers in perhaps rural areas have limited information about what technology works best in agriculture, in the, in the place where they live in particular. And they might learn through radio or some other form of communication how best to implement their productive decisions, how much fertilizer to use, what seed to use, and, uh, and so on. And so I have an old interest in this topic because my family has always been involved in farming. So I grew up wondering what was the value added of a TV farm program that we watched every morning and how this program shaped agricultural practices in my home country of Brazil. In short, the question that I want to answer in this paper is, what is the role that mass media should play on the information provision of agricultural productivity for farmers? I think this is an economically important question still today, given you know, the large differences in agricultural productivity in different parts of the world. So one thing that I have seen that there is some literature about in terms of the implementation of uh, new technologies or new crop varieties uh, and so on, is in terms of how uh, farmers learn from each other. Hmm? So that would be like a, obviously an alternative mechanism uh, through which um, new technologies can be used. And that led me to think, what are the circumstances in which mass media uh, will play a role, right? Because if the world is relatively like slow changing, if new technologies are not arriving constantly, one may think that over the centuries, you know, if we want to take a, like a, a long, a very long term horizon over the centuries, uh, farmers have been able to experiment or learn from each other and so on. And therefore, there will be like relatively small prospect for learning. Are you thinking that the, the learning from mass media will be particularly relevant in settings in which the, the pace of innovation is fast enough that the, the frontier is changing constantly and therefore, you know, learning from neighbors is, you know, perhaps a bit less plausible than learning from a, another provider of information that perhaps is going to be able to bring that information faster to the farmers? Yes, that's, that's a, a great point. And it is true that we have a wealth of papers that look at different interventions, uh, ICT, inter uh, information and communication technology interventions in agriculture. And it is true that there is uh, a, a big literature that focuses on interpersonal communication. So farmers learn from each other. One thing that I think mass media can uh, add to farmers is it can serve as a bridge between the institutions who are developing innovations and those who need the innovations, the farmers themselves. So I believe that interpersonal communication between farmers is extremely important for diffusion, but for early adoption, there still seems to be the case that mass media can help 
bridge what is being done by research institutes and what needs to be done by the farmers. There seems to be this first step where an innovator has a breakthrough in a technology and this, this has to be broadcasted to the farmers in one way or another. Now, it is not necessarily the case that mass media is the answer to this problem because it could still be interpersonal communication in the sense that you could have extension agents, agricultural extension agents who will visit farmers. So training and visiting, for example, can be occurred. Demonstrations can be occurring at the experimental stations and the farmers can benefit from those. Uh, to the extent that they're somewhat isolated in their communities, this first step could be much more, let's say, streamlined and affordable and widespread if you have one central unit that is disseminating the information, such as the radio. What is the setting in which uh, your paper takes place? You were talking about mass media and you were talking about farmers in countries that have higher or lower productivity. What is it that you actually study in this paper? So I, I do not study farmers in countries that are low in productivity today. Rather, I take a historical perspective and I examine the advent of radio roughly 100 years ago in the United States. This is called the golden age of radio. This is, I think, particularly interesting because we go from a setting where we have virtually no form of mass communication. We do have newspapers, I guess, but they're a little bit slower and they require literacy for, for the contents to be understood. And they also require some interpretation on the part of the farmers. And we go from that to having an information that is broken down to farmers in digestible quantities, so to speak. And it's interesting because we go from no radio stations to a, a massive amount of radio stations in a very short amount of time, roughly two or three years. That's, that's how long it takes for us to reach a number of radio stations that is somewhat sustained over time. And these radio stations were also specifically focused on the diffusion of farming technologies? No, they were not. Uh, although the, the importance of farming and agriculture was very quickly recognized to the extent that I believe Herbert Hoover, who at the time was, the, I think, Secretary of Commerce before he became president, he even said that no use of radio should take precedence over agriculture. Agriculture is the, the most important application of radio. Nonetheless, a large number of stations that existed early on and exist until today do not have a focus on farmers, do not have a focus on agriculture. This is, I think, part of the reason why it is somewhat important for us to have this conversation about the value of somewhat government-sponsored information, perhaps, or the, the value of the involvement of universities in disseminating information. Because it's not the case that every station out there will broadcast a content that is of high societal value, especially at the time when agriculture is such an important sector in the American economy. So if, if we take the broad question as the effect of access to mass media on agricultural productivity, is there any paper prior to yours that kind of a, uh, tries to tackle this question as well, probably with different variation and on? There are other papers prior to mine that I think one recent paper that looks at this, it's still a working paper, it's a paper by Apur Gupta and co-authors. So... In Gupta and co-author's paper, they look at not necessarily radio, but a technology that is more recent and perceived as more applicable today, which is mobile phones in agriculture. 
And they similarly to me look at the, the effect of coverage of mobile phones on agricultural productivity. I, I think where my paper is somewhat different is that I, I have this interesting scenario where there is no alternative for very fast form of communicating in mass the content to farmers. And also because it's a hundred years ago, I can study a longer term horizon and talk about whether the effects that I find are persistent for a, a number of years. The objective here is to estimate the effect of access to radio stations. You say that not all radio stations are specialized on farming, but presumably some of them will be uh, on agricultural productivity. Can you give us an idea of uh, where does your data come from? What type of data sets you put together for this? Yes. So I can let me talk you first through the radio archival data that I use in my project. The data comes from this uh, World Radio History Project. So this is an online library where you can find collections of magazines, annual records of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, for example. And, and through these records, I'm able to parse year by year. And again, it's an effort of collecting various data sources the full list of licensed radio stations and their technical specifications, such as the location where the transmitter is, uh, the frequency of the radio station, and power of the radio station. Let, let me just interrupt you here for a second, just to be clear. So every radio station has its own transmitting tower, or do several radio stations transmit from the same tower? Most radio stations have their own transmitter. Occasionally, two radio stations will share time on air and they will share the same transmitter. That is, that is possible. So, so you know where every transmitter of every radio station is at every point in time? Yes. What else? I, I also know, in addition to where the radio stations are, I can categorize the radio stations into radio stations that are focusing on broadcasting farm content and radio stations that are not. Now, I do not have, I should disclaim that I do not have access to full day-to-day -day programming of each radio station to create this classification. Rather, I rely on some historical sources where we have lists of educational radio stations that are available in a particular year, and I rely on a symposium that occurs in one year where members of land-grant colleges and state agricultural experiment stations gather and talk about their radio stations. So I have some amount of historical data that allows me to tell whether a radio station is focusing on educational farm content. In the end of the day, when I say a radio station focuses on farm content, you can think that I'm talking about either a station associated with a land-grant college or with a state agricultural experimental station. This is with respect to the right-hand side variable. On the left-hand side, you're going to put uh, agricultural productivity. How do you get that and what is the unit of observation? So yes, on my left-hand side, I will have measures of agricultural productivity, such as the value of the farm land and buildings per acre and the value of all crops combined per acre. These will come from the agricultural census. The agricultural census on this time period that I'm studying happens mostly every five years. So I will have 1920 all the way to 1950 enumerations every five years of the agricultural census. I also have information that comes from the population census that will go on my right-hand side, control variables. I will have information that I'll bring from other data sources, such as 
temperature and precipitation. My unit of observation is the county level. So all the information that I have will be aggregated or averaged to the county level on my analysis. So my panel is a county by year panel. County by year, but you observe this every five years. It's a county by every five year uh, period, correct? Yes, I stand corrected. County by five year period. Okay, so the left-hand side variable is going to be a measure of productivity at the county level measured every five years, how do you construct the independent variable of interest, which is this access to farming radio stations whose effect you're trying to uh, estimate? Okay, so I will at some point talk about my empirical strategy, but what I'm using on my right-hand side here, my main variable of interest is a proxy for radio exposure. A proxy for, you can think, what fraction of a county can pick up the signal from a radio station. The way I construct this is I use this method that has been first used in economics, I think, by Ben Olken in 2009 and has been gaining lots of traction recently where we compute the strength of the radio signal that arrives at any county from any transmitter. We do so by the fact that radio propagation obeys the laws of physics and the radio signal decays from the transmitter to the receiver by a square of the distance, by inverse square of the distance. But also the signal decays due to variations in topography, due to the presence of mountains and hills. So I construct my data by creating point-to-point -point predictions of the signal strength in each county for every radio station available in that year and assigning to that county the largest number, the strongest signal that that county picks up, the station that is most likely being picked up by the county. And I do so for these farm educational radio stations and for every other radio station that does not focus on farm content separately. Since you have mentioned it already, can you go into the description of the empirical strategy? Yes. So the, the main challenge in, in what I'm trying to do, which is estimate the effect of mass media on agricultural productivity, is that we want to know what would have happened if the radio broadcasts never occurred. Right. So the thought experiment that I have in mind is one where counties are randomly assigned into having or not having radio service. And then we can use this random treatment assignment to explore the impact of radio on these agricultural outcomes. Now, this is, of course, not possible. Firstly, you cannot prevent a person from listening to radio, even if you could assign treatment, because radio is non-rival non and non-excludable. So instead of that, what I do is, um, like I mentioned before, I use the variation in signal due to topographical features. So if you have ever driven your car through a hilly or mountainous region, you likely experience loss of radio signal because of mountains and hills. So the natural experiment is that some U.S. counties can have good radio reception and another U.S. counties right next to them may not have radio reception because there are hills in the line of sight between the transmitter antenna and the receiving county, right? So what I do is I compute for each county the signal that that county receives from the farm radio station accounting for the variation in terrain and not accounting for the variation in terrain. I do this for one reason. When we do not account for terrain, when we imagine that there are no hills or mountains between the transmitter and the receiver, what we get is the effect of 
the location of radio stations, which, as we talked about, is endogenous, right? Stations will locate where they can maximize listenership, for example, and in the case of farm stations, they will locate inside of land-grant colleges, and that is an endogenous decision, which I can account for by controlling for the distance between the radio station and the receiving county. Let me, let me say what you are saying in a slightly different way. So, so you, you construct two variables that uh, capture uh, the variation of how affected by a transmitter a county is. The first one you call the free space model, which is a variable that is captured exclusively on the basis of distance. It's the square of the distance. It doesn't matter. It's, you know, it's how close this county is to that transmitter. And your assumption is that all the endogeneity about the location of the transmitters is being captured by that variable. That is, if it happens that a county is close to an agricultural college, radio stations tend, lo tend to locate themselves next to agricultural colleges, then obviously that a free space model variable that I have just described will be affected by that. But that's not the one that you are interested in. The other one is the same variable, but now taking into account these topographic elements, essentially, as you said, there is a mountain in between. So you are exploiting only the variation of the ability to listen to the radio or not that comes from the fact that there is a mountain in between, as opposed to the variation that comes from being, say, as a crow flies in a perfect line close to the transmitter or not. Is that, is that more or less the idea? Yes, that is the idea. So it is the, the residual variation mm. in signal that remains after you account for the fact that you are this close to the transmitter of the radio station. So imagine another type of endogeneity. So imagine that I am in Iowa, okay, and now the price of corn goes up and the Iowa farmers become very productive and they say, or, or more appear, or there is an increased demand, okay, for new content about how to deal with corn and a new radio station sets up in Iowa to broadcast to these local farmers who are suddenly really interested in how to better grow corn. That, uh, according to your assumption, is being captured by the first variable because the radio station is close by, the, the free space model variable, but not by the second variable or the residual the, after controlling for the first variable that is being captured by the second variable, which is the topographic presence of a mountain variation. If I understand your question correctly, I think that there, there is very little variation in the opening of these educational radio stations since they are, from the early days, tied to the land-grant colleges and state experimental stations. It is true that other radio stations may come in, and maybe it's just something that I can still explore in the future, is how these other radio stations could perhaps cater to the farming community if the, if the county is heavily reliant in agriculture. Now, I, I do account also for uh, differences in terrain which affect the radio signal itself, right? So it's true that this residual variation that I exploit will be greater in terrains that are more rugged in the presence of more mountains. So it's in some ways a little bit strange when we think about the fact that there are regions of the US that are very plain and where I will have little variation to exploit. And there are regions that are more mountainous. So I do allow for, for that in my, in my model as well. You said that there is not that much uh, increase in the number of stations because your model, you know, as is typical with this uh, panel data 
uh, includes county fixed effects. Where does the time variation within a county come from then in these two variables? There is a time variation in these radio variables, if I understand correctly, that are due to the radio stations retrofitting their equipment mostly. I see. So what happens is a radio station will increase the amount of power because of new technologies that are happening in radio. Also, I encourage you to think about the exposure to radio that is being captured by the signal strength as something that changes a little bit over time because not only the stations are retrofitting their equipments, farmers are more and more buying radios because the technology is becoming more affordable. So the radio penetration is going up slightly over time. The receivers themselves are getting better and better able to capture the radio signal as well. But the increase in the presence of radios in the county that's not in your variables. No, because that unfortunately is only observed in one census year. That is one limitation that I have is that I am not able to really pin down how much this signal strength, which is a number that is not very intuitive, how much does it translate to actual listenership of radio? Another way of saying this is that in some dimensions, you might be interested in the IV interpretation of this effect, that is how access to radio affects the listening of the radio and the listening of the radio in turn affects agricultural productivity. You are, if you want, running the reduced form equivalent of these two stately squares, but because you don't have the intermediate variable, that is the listenership, you cannot calculate that elasticity of a listenership to agricultural productivity. Yes, that's a great point. You are entirely correct. I do, however, think that what I capture is, in some sense, perhaps even more interesting than this IV that you're referring to, because the policy instrument that we can work with is not forcing farmers to listen to the radio, is rather we can open radio stations and connect them with the research institutions and hope for the best. So it's actually the availability of media that we can influence and that we would be interested in influencing Anyways, so let me ask you another question about uh, the use of this variable. So one possibility is that being able to listen to farming radio stations is helping agricultural productivity, as you said, because the farmers suddenly realize that there are all these technologies available that they can use in order to uh, increase the yields and so on. The second that I have in mind is in terms of access to the weather. Okay, so. My understanding is that with respect to grapes that are picked up to make wine, at least in some climates, like small, small changes on how quickly they are harvested as the weather condition change can make an enormous difference for the value of the wine. Maybe that's not going to be the same for wheat or corn, probably, but you know, yes, bear with me, okay, for the, in that respect, I will, I will expect that if Farmers can listen to radio stations that give them more up-to-date predictions about the weather. They can tailor whatever they do. I talk about harvesting, but maybe other things as well. Whatever they do in the fields in a way that directly affects the productivity without a new technology being involved. That is a great point. And I think what you mentioned with grapes also applies to wheat. Mm. It applies to, to frosts, for example. And you might want to optimize the timing of harvesting based on what you hear on weather forecasts. 
And let's make no mistake that market information and weather forecasts are being broadcast by virtually every station at the time period, just as they are being broadcast today, no matter which radio station you tune into. You will listen about stock market performance 100 years ago in the US. You would listen about the price of corn and the price of wheat. So the price of corn is not going to be the issue here because you are measuring productivity regardless of prices, right? So this is going to be an issue for things that involve operational productivity, not necessarily the revenue, which is the product multiplied by, by the price at which the farmers sell it, right? The, the, the issue will be more on the, on the access to weather side, okay, which directly affects a product, productivity. I, I, I take your point that all radio stations will talk about the weather. And again, this is not my area of expertise, but my wonder is whether some radio stations talk about micro aspects of the weather that are particularly valuable for farmers, um, right? Whether it's going to rain or not, maybe, you know, that's going to be the same for everybody, but I don't know, things that are more obscure uh, about the weather. Is that is that possible at all? It is possible. My answer would realm on the on the realm of speculation, because I do not actually have precise information about the content. So I do not observe radio transcripts for, for most radio stations out there. I, I do know that the USDA is transmitting some information about weather on a daily basis. Again, this is information that is relevant at the county, but not perhaps at different localities. So you are correct, and I would not have a, an answer to, to that. To the point about prices, though, uh, maybe I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, but one of my measures of agricultural productivity is revenue-based. And for that measure, variation in prices, or I guess variation in, in the farmer's ability to efficiently price their crops will be captured in one of my measures of agricultural productivity. The last question that I had about the identification uh, has to do with uh, something that I saw on the balancing tests. So you have the, you know, the standard balancing test in which you show that the main independent variable of interest is more or less uncorrelated okay, with a, some like a control variables that will be predictive of agricultural productivity. The question that I had is that the, the estimates here on this balancing test, they don't seem to change that much after you control for the signal-free, you know, the, the, the main critical control variable, which is the ability to listen to the radio that is based exclusively on the distance. And that made me think whether you might not be controlling for this variable in a way that is flexible enough. Uh, you put it uh, linearly, but I was wondering whether if you want to really make sure that if this is a critical control, whether maybe non-parameter, entering in a non-parametric way might be more effective because it captures in a slightly more sophisticated way the variation that we're, we are controlling for. Thank you, Jordi. And I, I, I take your point and I agree with it. And uh, this is something that I, I have done, but perhaps I should have included it in the paper, is that I can also, and I have also used just distance itself instead of this free space signal to account for distance from the radio stations. And I, I find virtually the same results as I have in here. Now, when we say that the variable enters linearly, it is true, but the relationship between distance and farm and radius, the, the relationship between 
radio station distance and county receiver distance is being captured non-linearly by the free space signal propagation model. It also takes into account elevation and the conductivity of the ground, for example. Now, I, I'm not sure which coefficient estimates you are having in mind when you say that the estimates don't change substantially. For my key outcomes, I think it, it seems to matter more. There is something in there on, on the number of farms, for example, and the percentage of land of farms that perhaps do not look so great. And I, I don't have a very good answer to that as well. So can you tell us now what are the main outcome variables? What are the baseline results that you find? So I have two main outcome variables that relate to the overall productivity effect of radio. These are called the value of farmland per acre and the value of all crops combined per acre. Now, the value of farmland, it measures not just the effect of farm content on productivity, but it could perhaps also include the value of radio as an amenity. The ra radio as a whole is valuable to farmers because it helps dispel isolation. And as an amenity, it could be captured in land prices. So farm value is how much it will cost me to buy a farm. That is, is that correct? An acre of farm. An acre yes. of a farm. Okay, so, so the, the, the price of the land, if you want, which obviously will be affected by, you know, how productive that land is, but also you're saying by other things. Precisely. Yes. Another measure that I have is the combined value of all crops combined. And this is a revenue-based measure, which can be influenced by determinants of price variations across producers. So this can be a good thing or a bad thing, right? So it could be reflective of differences in product quality, for example, if you think about a crop being of better quality, or it could be reflective of market integration, where farmers are perhaps optimizing on prices and increasing their revenue based on that. Now, I also have other more specific measures of crop productivity per se, which are uh, the yields of the five major cash crops at the time in the US, wheat, corn, oats, barley, and cotton. And I use these to look at the effect of radio on the productivity of crops in a more specific manner. And broadly speaking, what are the size of the coefficients that you find? Yes. So I find that uh, one standard deviation increase in the exposure of farm radio is associated with 2.1% higher farm value per acre and 4.4% higher crop value per acre at that time. So this is a short run effect of radio. To put this number in perspective, a one standard deviation increase in signal is roughly the increase in signal that occurs between 1925 and 1935, which are the very beginning days of radio, the days when radio goes from an early technology to a well-established technology in the US. I also use an event study design to look at these effects on the longer term, which I think is a more interesting way of thinking about this main result. And what I find with this event study is that the counties that were served by radio early on experienced over a 20-year period an 8% increase in overall agricultural productivity measured by the farm land value. But I find that the effect on the crop land value, the revenue-based measure, it fades out after, after some amount of time. So I, I interpret with caution the long-term effects of, of this one particular variable. So the idea why you might expect that the long-term effects are different from the short-term is that it takes a while to be listening to the radio every day until a new technology pops up and then you are, you know, finding out about it and wanting to adopt it 
even after finding out, maybe you cannot afford it and there's going to be a little bit of a lag and so on, correct? That would be the main idea. That, that is the main idea. It's also the case that towards the end of my sample, other technologies are becoming more available. So television is starting to pop up. FM radio, which I do not capture. Maybe I should have mentioned at the beginning that we're talking about AM, the low quality, low fidelity radio signals in here. So there are perhaps other technologies are becoming more available. There is also automobiles, which are becoming more available, telephones and other technologies that could be competing with radio in, in the sense of providing information to farmers. So you have a very interesting placebo test in order to reinforce the notion that um, it is indeed access to these radio stations uh, that are broadcasting the farming content that matters. What is it? So I think you're talking about the situation where I include in my model the, the signals of other radio stations. So the idea of this is, as I mentioned before, on my, main, my main outcome may be affected by the amenity value of radio. So if that is the case, then the amenity value of radio is not something that is specific to the farm radio stations. So what I want to do is I want to include in my main regression, in addition to the signal strength of farm radios, the signal strength of other general interest commercial radio stations and see whether that is also driving farmland value up. What I do when I, and I also include the free space version of that variable. When I do that, I find that no, that all my results in both the farmland value and the cropland revenue-based measure are driven by farm radio stations specifically. And this, I think, if I can say, it speaks to the fact that radio stations at the time, and I have anecdotal evidence of that, did not really see the value on broadcasting agricultural information. The farmers are not their main consumers, and they do not want to put their effort into broadcasting one hour of their day to consumers that will not improve their advertisement revenue as opposed to these educational radio stations, which are not solely maximizing profits. You have also some uh, interactions in the paper. What are those and how do, you, how do they help you to understand the mechanism through which access to this uh, farming content affects productivity? So the natural question that comes after these main results is, why are we seeing these agricultural productivity gains? Is it because farmers are perhaps isolated and unable to communicate with other farmers, is it that there is no other source of information from which they can derive uh, the information on these innovations? And so what I do is I interact my main variable of interest, the signal strength of these farm radio stations, with uh, a few other variables, such as the signal strength of the other radio stations. Now, the other radio stations here are acting as a measure of media availability, right? Media saturation. So you might think that if you have more media available in your, in your county, more newspapers or more radio stations, the effect might be smaller. And that's exactly what I find. The effects are smaller when there are other media available. Perhaps more interesting is when I interact my main variable, the farm signal, with uh with economic, uh, with demographic variables such as literacy rates and uh, income, so to speak. We do not have data on income on the census at the time, but we have data on occupational score income. It's a proxy for income. And in both the literacy case and the occupational score income case, I do find that less literate counties benefit more from radio. The effects become even larger when the counties are of lower human capital. 
Sure, your idea is that this speaks to human capital being a substitute for the access to these radio stations, correct? Yes. So the idea is that the cost of searching for information decreases as you have higher human capital. And this costly information acquisition then is exacerbated when you have uh, lower uh, literacy rates and lower socioeconomic status. I also similarly find that when I interact my main variable with the distance to railroads, which is a measure of, say, market integration or how connected you are to, to others, I also find that being further away from railroads increases the value of farm radio. So the more isolated you are, the more you benefit from this mass media that is giving you information through the air as opposed to through road networks. You have talked earlier about access to radio being a more uh, important variable for policy than the actual listening of the radio, and I agree with you on that. But are there policy implications from your findings about today's environment? Obviously, it's not going to be for farmers in developed countries because they have access to great wealth of information, but what about policy implications for farmers potentially in developing countries? Yes, of course. So, a disclaimer, I do not want to oversell my results. Uh, I am primarily interested in documenting the effect of radio on this historical event on the agriculture in the U.S. But yes, especially when it comes to these findings that the radio benefits more, the more isolated communities. I think that what we observed in the U.S. 100 years ago, it's somewhat applicable to the developing world today. And it turns out that the radio is still one of the most popular forms of mass communication in the developing world. It's listened by billions, believe it or not. Uh, the benefit of radio is that it's extremely affordable. It's portable. You can bring it anywhere. A battery-operated radio can be used in a farm while you're doing your work. And that's typically how it's done. And so I think that the effects that I find are still applicable in the world of today for the time being. It is true that we have other technologies and I think that it will be interesting to explore how these other technologies, such as mobile phones, interact with radio. It's something that I'm very interested in. Well, thank you, Arthur, for coming to the program. Thank you so much, Jordi, for having me. Uh, please visit our website, thevisiblehand.uk, for links to the other papers that we discussed, introductory music and logo by Aitana Blanesiso, episode produced by Anderson Tan. <laughs>